0: Chapter 6. The Change Is Real This grace works a genuine change and provides real advantages. In the last chapter, I made clear the necessity of saving grace to fit us for sufferings. You will now expect some account of the nature of the work and how it advantages us for the discharge of the hardest services in religion. I will open both in this chapter with a distinct explanation of its parts. This work of grace, of which I am here to speak, consists in the real change of the whole person by the Spirit of God, by which we are prepared for every good work. In this brief description, I will expand on four things. One, it is a change. This is palpably evident both from Scripture and experience. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse seventeen and it is so perceptible a change that it is called a turning from darkness to light acts chapter 26 verse 18 a new creature is formed and brought forth but to be a little more distinct and particular there are several other changes that pass on men that must not be mistaken for this therefore it is not a mere change of the judgment from error to truth from paganism to christianity Simon Magus had such a change, yet he still remained in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Acts chapter eight, verse twenty-three. It is not a change of our practice from profaneness to civility. This is common among those who live under the light of the gospel that breaks into men's consciences, thwarts their lusts, and overalls them with the fears of hell. This is no more than what the Gentiles had. Romans chapter two, verse fifteen. It is not a change from mere morality to mere formality in religion. The common gifts of the spirit change hypocrites, illuminate their minds and slightly touch their affections. Hebrews chapter 6 verses 4 through 5. It is not a change such as justification makes, which is relative and only alters the state and condition. Romans chapter 5 verse 1. And last, it is not a change of the essence of a person. He remains essentially the same person. But this change is the infusion of new habits of grace into the old faculties. This immediately deposes sin from its dominion over the soul and delivers up the soul into the hands and government of Christ, so that it lives no more to itself but to Christ. This is that change of which we speak. 2. I assert this change to be real. It is not a fancy, not a delusion, not a groundless concept, but it is really existent outside the mind whether you think it or not indeed the blind world tries to persuade us that it is hypothetical and imaginary and that there is no real difference between one person and another as we affirm grace makes so whoever professes it is soon branded a fanatic and that scripture stand by thyself come not near to me for i am holier than thou isaiah chapter 65 verse 5 is held in their teeth in their absurd and perverse sense of it I will briefly offer seven things for your consideration that will abundantly display the reality of this change, and at once both stop the slanderous mouths of ignorant men and silence those atheistic thoughts and conjectures that Satan may inject into the hearts of God's own people about this matter. 1. First, let it be considered that the Spirit of God has represented this work of grace to us in Scripture under such names and notions as if they had been chosen purposely to obviate this slander it is called a creature galatians chapter 6 verse 15 a man 1 peter chapter 3 verse 4 a new birth john chapter 3 verse 3 and christ formed in us galatians chapter 4 verse 19 these all express its reality it is not an imaginary thing two it appears to be real by the marvelous effects it has on people turning them in judgment will affections and practice quite counter to what they were before this is evident in that famous instance of Paul, Galatians chapter 1 verse 23, and is abundantly attested to and sealed by the constant experience of all gracious souls that are witnesses of this truth. 3. A divine and almighty power goes out to produce and work it. Faith is said to be the operation of God, Colossians chapter 2 verse 12. Yes, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead goes to the production of it. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19-20. through 20. And if so, how much less than blasphemy is it to call it an imagination or fancy? Does God set His infinite power at work to produce a fancy or raise an imagination? 4. Imaginations and whims abound most in people of weak reason. Children and those who are unsound in their understandings have most of them. Strength of reason banishes them as the sun does mists and fogs. But the more rational, gracious people are, the more they are fixed, settled, and satisfied in the grounds of religion. There is the highest and purest reason in religion, and when this change is worked in people, it is carried on in a rational way Isaiah chapter one verse eighteen, The Spirit overpowers the understanding with clear demonstrations and silences all objections, pleas and pretenses to the contrary john chapter 16 verses 9 through 13. 5. it is a real thing and gracious souls know it to be so or else so many thousands of the saints would never have suffered so many cruel torments and miseries rather than forsake a fancy and be spared they have been so convinced of the reality of that which the world calls a fancy that they have chosen to embrace the stake rather than deny it The constancy of Christians in cleaving to religion became a common proverb among the heathen. When they wanted to express the greatest difficulty, they would say, you may as soon turn a Christian from Christ as do it. Certainly, no wise person would sacrifice his liberty, estate, life, and all that is dear for a fancy. 6. Its reality appears in its uniformity in all those in whom it has worked. They have obtained like precious faith, Second Peter chapter one verse one. They are all changed into the same image, Second Corinthians chapter three verse eighteen. Three thousand persons were affected in the same manner at one sermon, Acts chapter two verse thirty-seven. Could the same imagination possess them all? Take two Christians who live a thousand miles apart from each other, that have never heard of one another. And let these persons be examined and their reports compared to see if they do not substantially agree whether, as face answers face in the water, their experiences do not correspond one to the other. This could never be if it were a groundless idea. Seven. Last, it is evident that it is a reality and puts a real difference between one and another because God carries himself so differently toward them after their conversion. Now he smiles before he frowned. Now they are under the promises before they were under the threats and curses, and what a vast difference he will put between the one and the other in that great day. See the accounts of the parable of the ten virgins and the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25. Certainly, if these nominal Christians differed only in imagination, not reality, from the others, the righteous judge of all the earth would not pass such a different judgment and doom on them. By all these things you can see that grace is a real change not an imaginary one 3 we say that this real change passes on the whole man we are changed in soul body and practice all things are become new 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17 this change appears in our souls for by it our understanding is strangely altered and it receives things in another way than it did before It used to look at Christ and things eternal as uncertain and light matters. The things that were seen and present were the most impressive and appeared great and excellent. It admired riches and honor, while Christ and glory were overlooked and despised. But now all these temporals are regarded as dung, dross, and vanity. Romans chapter 8, verse 18, Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 through 11. And Jesus Christ is now esteemed the power of God and the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 23 through 24. The soul previously looked on the saints as despicable persons, but now as the excellent of the earth. Psalm 16 verse 3. Strictness and duty were once regarded as needless things, but now as the only desirable things. Psalm 119 verse 14. Oh, says the renewed soul, where were my eyes so that I could not see more excellency in Christ, his ways and his people? The change does not stop there as it does in hypocrites, but it passes on further and reduces the will. That stronghold is taken and delivered to Christ. It rebelled against God and could not be subject, but now it submits. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do Acts chapter 9 verse 6. In the day of Christ's power, he presents himself in all his enticing glory and loveliness before the will and cries to that stubborn faculty, Open to me, open to me. With these words, there comes an opening and subduing power that the will no sooner feels than it spontaneously moves toward him and says, Stand open, you everlasting gates, so that the King of glory may come in. Psalm 24, verse 7. From then on, it votes for god and subscribes and submits to his will as its only rule and law it becomes the principal seat where grace makes its residence and where for the most part it is more visible than in any other faculty for after a man has searched for it in all other faculties and cannot discern it here in the will he ordinarily finds it for to will is present with me romans chapter 7 verse 18 After the will is won to Christ, love naturally comes in. It also feels the power of grace and soon changes its object. It does not seize so greedily on earthly objects as before, but is strangely cooled and deadened to them by the appearance of a far greater glory in Jesus Christ. This has so captivated the soul and attracted their affection that it now becomes very remiss in all its actions toward them. Often, especially at first, It is so weaned from all things on earth that the temptation seems to lie in the other extreme, in too great a neglect of our lawful employments and comforts. Now, Jesus Christ, Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 3, his ordinances, Psalm 119, verse 97, and his saints, 1 John, chapter 3, verse 14, are the only delights and sweetest companions. He could sit from morning until night to hear discourses of Christ, his beloved, and could live and die in the company of his people. Whose company is now most delightful and sweet. Psalm 119, verse 63. The desires are altered. They pant no more after the dust of the earth, Amos chapter 2, verse 7, but instead pant for God as the heart panteth after the water brooks. Psalm 42, verse 1. The soul is so big with them that it is sometimes ready to faint, to break with the longing it has for Him. Psalm 119, verse 20. The thoughts are also changed. Psalm 119, verse 11. The thoughts of God are now most precious. Psalm 139, verse 17. It contemplates Him when alone, and in its solitudes the soul entertains itself with a delightful feast that its thoughts of God bring in to refresh it. Psalm 63, verses 5 through 6. Grace changes the designs and projects of the soul. They all are now swallowed up in one grand design to be approved by God and to be accepted by Him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. If we do not fail there, we will not be troubled much if all our other designs should be dashed. It would be easy to demonstrate how grace spreads and diffuses itself into all the other affections, as light in the air or leaven in the lump, but this may suffice to show how it passes on to the whole soul and enters its faculties and affections. The soul now possessed for God, the body, with all its members, is consequently resigned up to Him also, For the will controls the members of the body as well as the passions and affections of the soul. These are no longer delivered up to execute the lusts of Satan, but are yielded up to God for his ends and uses. Romans chapter 6, verse 19. This third point shows that it is an entire as well as a real change. 4. Last, you need to know that by this change, God prepares us for choice and excellent services. Indeed, this is the main design of this chapter and is the result and issue of all that has been said up to this point about this work of grace. Beloved, can you imagine that God would employ His infinite and glorious power to produce this new creature in such an excellent nature, the masterpiece of all His works of wonder worked on man, and not aim at some unique use and excellent end? Every wise agent designs some end, and God told us what He aims at. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 21, Ephesians chapter 2. Accordingly, He expects remarkable things from these persons. Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. If God had not aimed at some new service, He did not need to make a new creature. The old creature was fit enough for the old use and service it was employed in, but God has some choice service to be done in which He will be glorified. He will have His name glorified even in this world by the active and passive obedience of His people. But since this is far above all the power of nature, God brings them forth in a new and heavenly nature, endowed with rare, supernatural, and divine qualities by which they are equipped and excellently prepared for any service of God, either by doing or by suffering, which before they were not ready or able to do the very make and constitution of this new creature speak its use and end. If someone looks on a sword or knife, supposing he had never seen either before, I say that by viewing the shape and properties of it, he will say this was made to cut. Even so here, this new creature was formed for some glorious and extraordinary service for God to which it is exceedingly advantaged whether God asks it to do or suffer." If you ask where this advantage of the new creature to honor God either way lies, I answer that it principally is found in its heavenly inclination, or its natural tendency, to God. This is its great advantage. For by virtue of this, if God calls us to any duty, there is a principle within that unites with the command without, and moves the soul freely and spontaneously to duty. When thou saidest, Seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, Thy face, Lord, will I seek. Psalm 27, verse 8. This is what is called the writing of God's law in the heart. Jeremiah 31, verse 33. And is destined to be a mighty advantage. For now our work is our delight and wages. Psalm 19, verses 8 through 11. The command to such a soul is not grievous. 1 John 5, verse 3. And by this it is kept from tiring in duty and being weary of its work. You see what pains children can take at play, how they will run and sweat and endure knocks and falls and take no notice of it. But put them to any manual labor, and they cannot endure half as much. When our work is our delight, we never faint nor tire at it. This inclination to God is to the soul as wings to a bird or sails to a ship. This carries the soul easily through every duty oh, there is a vast difference between people who work for wages and those whose work is wages to them. And here you may see at once where the principal difference between the hypocrite and the real Christian in the performance of duty lies, and have a true account of the reason why one perseveres to the end in his work when the other falters. Here is the true account of both. The one is moved to duty by a natural inclination to it, but the other is forced on it by some external motives the hypocrite does not take delight in the spiritual and inward part of duty but is secretly weary of it malachi chapter 1 verse 13 only his ambition and selfish aims motivate him to his duty as a task but those with upright hearts go to god as their joy psalm 63 verses 3 through 4 and say it is good for me to draw near to god psalm 73 verse 28 when the Sabbath, that golden spot of the week, comes, how they long to see the beauty of the Lord in His ordinances. Psalm 27, verse 4. And when engaged in the worship of God, they cannot satisfy themselves in bodily service or with serving God in the oldness of the letter. Romans chapter 7, verse 6. They know that this persuasion cometh not of Him that calleth them. Galatians chapter 5, verses 7 through 8. They labor to engage their hearts to approach God. Jeremiah chapter 30 verse 21. So for this reason, they raise their hearts and passionately lift their desires heavenward. Now you have seen one rare advantage is the ability to glorify God actively that flows from the inclination of this new creature. The soul has a second great advantage for sufferings in that this new creature, who now has such a natural tendency to God, will enable the soul in which it is to break its way to God through all the interposing obstacles and discouragements. What are persecutions? What are reproaches? What are the fears and frowns of enemies but so many blocks thrown into the soul's way to keep it from God and duty? Indeed, where this principle of grace is lacking, they prove to be inaccessible mountains. Graceless hearts are stalled and quite discouraged by them, but now this tendency of the soul toward God enables Christians to break their way through all. You may say of Him in such a situation, as the historian does of Hannibal who forced a way over the Alps with fire and vinegar, either he will find a way or make a way. An upright soul asks, Will sword or famine or any other creature separate me from Christ? No, it will make its way to him through all because of this tendency of his new nature. You see, in nature, everything has a tendency to its center. Fire will go up, no matter what you do to suppress it. Water will flow to the sea. If it meets with dams or mountains in its way and cannot press them down, it will creep about some other way and wind and turn to find a passage to the sea. God is the center of all gracious spirits, and grace will carry the soul through all to Him. This is grace, and this is your advantage by it in the most difficult part of your work. It will carry you through all and make the hardest work easy and pleasant. Second Corinthians chapter 12 verse 10. And if great sufferings or temptations interpose between you and your God, it will break through all and enable you to withstand all as it did Paul, who forced his way not only through the fury of enemies, but also through the pleas and tears of friends.